The Power of Agile, hosted by Nagara. Welcome to The Power of Agile, the podcast that explores the transformative impact of true agility on businesses. I'm your host, Gerpreet, and I work here at Nagaro in Austria as a cloud consultant. In today's episode, we'll be delving right into some of the biggest misconceptions about agile frameworks and methodologies. Joining us today is Dorothy, an enterprise agile consultant at Nagaro. Welcome, Dorothy. Thank you for having me, Gerpreet. I'm excited to be here and discuss those misconceptions that we've heard about. It's certainly a pleasure to have you. And before we go right into our topic today, I've got a quick fire round of questions for you, if that's okay. Sounds great. Awesome. So firstly, give me an interesting fact about yourself. I also raise and show Arabian horses. Okay. And I don't just do it at a local level. I show them up to... uh, Show them all the way up to a nationals level. So it's a lot of travel some years. Some years it's not. And uh, it's very uh, something very passionate for me that I truly enjoy. Right. And where have your travels taken you? Well, just within the U.S. Um, you know, when we when we travel for nationals, we've been up to Canada, up in uh, uh Brandon, and then for the U.S. Nationals, we go to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. So, so in the middle of the country and way up north. That that sounds <laughs> but, um, amazing. To qualify, yeah, to qualify for those, we travel up and down the the East Coast for various different local shows and regional shows. That that sounds great. Thank you for sharing that with me. And on the flip side of that. What would you say your best useless talent is? Use I um, I don't know if I can still play or not, but I played the clarinet back in uh, high school and college. So, a oh, so bit you, of a you haven't background. tried it recently? <laughs> no, and I don't own it anymore. I donated when my when my kids were in were in band. I uh, I donated my clarinet to the high school so that some other child that probably couldn't afford one had one they could use. Oh, that's a lovely gesture. That's really nice. And thirdly, what would you say is your most important lesson that you've learned over the course of your career? This lesson actually doesn't come from my career, just comes from the horses and from raising two kids is patience yes just having patience so and and being able to bring that patience into into agile consulting has been huge because it it allows me to just to stop and allow organizations just to be where they're at and meet them where they're at right and i think it's needed right it 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 fits into being an agile coach uh, and complements your role Yes, it does. And it brings that sense of curiosity to and helps them identify where they want to go. It's their agenda, not mine. 
yeah and those having those listening skills and really understanding that's a key part of all of this that's that's a really good uh, point that you highlight because patience is is something that is coming up time and time again uh, during this series and finally i'd say who are your most favorite people to follow within the agile industry I I follow quite a few today and I've and I've met some of them over the years. Uh one of the first ones I that comes to mind is Lisa Atkins and of course we know her book very well uh, coaching agile teams. I did have the pleasure of being in one of her workshops many many years ago and Michael Spade was also there with her. The dynamic between those two is pretty awesome to see. I still follow Michael's work online. A couple other people that I follow is Michelle Midori and Philip Cave. I have been in two of their mastery programs now that that are about eight months in length, and they bring a, a nice dynamic and a nice learning. And I and I follow what they share out in the industry also. And and I follow their work. And of course, there's moves into the human aspect and the system aspect you know the human aspect you know we're in knowledge work it's our brains at work here and and thinking about how the dynamic that brings not just for themselves but the teams they're worth they work with and then of course a team is a system so we think about that also which that's only four people there's quite a few more out in the industry that i follow and and keep tabs with but those are the four that come to mind. Those are the key role models. And they sound, from what you've described so far, very active in the agile space. So thank you for sharing that with me. Um, and now let's dive right into our topic then of the misconceptions around agile frameworks and methodologies. But before we kickstart with this, uh, could you tell me what's the difference between a framework and a methodology? Sure. So if we pull up the Oxford Dictionary, we'll see that a methodology, a noun, and these are both nouns, a methodology is a system of methods used in a particular area of study or activity. A framework is a basic structure underlying a system, concept, or text. And there we see that system word come up again that I mentioned just a few minutes ago. A system is many different things. And in the space that we're in here, a system is a team, a team of teams in an organization. It can be any one of those three. Now, as we think about those two definitions, we can see that the methodology is a way to analytically solve a problem, combining a chosen method to get a desired result. Yes. And the necessary logic of that method. Frameworks are structural components, and we can reuse them and pull and play, you know, pull them in, use them, move them out to implement a model, very structural and reusable. Those frameworks allow for creativity to meet clients and customer needs, whereas the methodology limit us to predefined set of rules and may limit the solution that we come up with. So what we're saying here is that frameworks are somewhat flexible in comparison to the methodologies where it's kind of like this one size fits all approach. 
Yeah, and may lead us down a path to a solution that doesn't fit the customer or the client's needs. The framework allows for innovation. Interesting. And it's it's really important that you mention that because especially within within the agile space, you you have to be able to adapt to different client needs, for example, different environments. And this is, I guess, why frameworks are so important. Mm-hmm. And why why would you say it's important to understand this distinction between methodologies and frameworks? Great question. So within the Agile space, there's 70 plus Agile frameworks. And a lot of times we don't even think about Agile is an umbrella over those. You know, the top two they're known is Scrum and Kanban. Now, I'm not going to get into the particulars of Kanban at the moment because there's a lot of discussion whether it's a process or not or what it is. But but those are the top two known ways of working. Mm-hmm. Some of the lesser known out there is XP, Crystal, DSDM. Uh, and then we look at scaling models of less, Scrum at scale, disciplined agile, scaled agile framework. And then some organizations create their own homegrown versions of those to fit their needs. We may even say that Spotify fits into that. However, it, it's very much an organizational design with that. So that leads to some of those misconceptions because depending upon which one of those you pull from, some mm-hmm. of those are very much a framework. Some of those are very rigid right. in how you implement them and how you use them. When you say when you say rigid in terms of implementation and using them, do you mean there is not a lot of leeway? in general with the frameworks or or is it would you say i mean so, sorry just to rewind you previously you mentioned that there's over 70 agile frameworks so is it the case that some are just not used so often and so their applicability seems somewhat difficult some of those names that i threw out there are very much frameworks because they mm-hmm. have pieces and parts that you can plug in and plug out Depending on what you need. A couple of those in there that I threw in there and named are very much methodologies. Right. They come right. with a set of implementation rules in how to work through how to use them. I see. And, and the goal is being that model when you're done, instead of leveraging them to meet your clients needs your business needs your customer needs yeah i understand your point and how so with that topic in mind how does agile help organizations to adopt uh, new ways of working so as we know organizations need to quickly adapt to changing customer needs, trying to beat their competitors to market, to snag more market share, things like that. When they leverage an agile framework, that allows them to quickly make those pivots and go down a path and experiment and try to see if 
if they can test out that hypothesis to see if this will work. They can quickly build either a minimum viable product or a proof of concept and get it out in front of a, a certain type of persona of users to right. see how it resonates with them. Now, we do see some opposites of that, of also companies being quick to market and things like that. But instead of meeting their customers' needs, because if we go ask the customers what they need, they're going to say they want a faster horse, as Henry Ford told us. <laughs> he went and built the horseless carriage. The flip side of that, we see some companies, they see what that customer's need are, but they can drive customer behavior. And a great example of that is Apple. Right. Apple has a huge market share out there today, and they do drive customer behavior in the products that they offer. And part of that is because they get people focused around that because of their why statement, not because of how they do it or what they've produced. Because of their why statement. Okay. So so you're saying it's not to do with the product itself. Correct. It's it's their why statement. Why okay. they do it. Yeah. What resonates with people. So they buy into that. I see. They buy into that, yes. Mm-hmm. And again, because of that why statement and that customer behavior, they're allowed those frameworks allow them to quickly pivot and get something else out there in front of the customer. As we all know, on our phones, we get you know, 10, 20, hundreds of updates daily on our phones to meet that growing customer demand. That's yeah, it's a it's a really good point that you highlight there. And so we've we've spoken about the methodologies, the frameworks, and then how agile can help organizations in in finding these new ways of working. Um, I'm curious to hear more of the benefits that this can bring? Sure. So in the benefits side, when we think about those new ways of working, it also allows us, especially with where a lot of these companies are in that knowledge space, it allows us to take a step back and just really humanize the work. Mm -hmm. And this allows us to get away from that old machine steps that we have, you know, from the old factory days of you go through these certain steps and it produces this product and do it very rigid in a defined set of way. And if there was a mistake, it was the person's fault instead of the machine's fault. A lot of times we call that Taylorism. Right. Uh, he's the one that that came up with that concept that if you do it exactly per these steps, it'll always be correct. We take the the opposite side of that and we humanize the work and we realize there's complexity there and innovation and allow things to go where we could have never imagined it could have went. Technology today has gone so far beyond what we could have even visualized or even thought work it could do because we humanized the work. And and it's still going, uh, as a matter of fact. It's still I mean, going today. Even as we explore AI, you know, again, underneath that and with the machine learning in that, the AI doesn't conceptualize, but it can bring enough data together to feed back that a human, a person, 
can take that and then come up with thousands of ideas. And and to be honest with you, AI is a prime example of where if you if you are trying to think of like innovative and creative ways, this it just goes to show what can be achieved uh, through things like ChatGPT, for example, or the deep learning models out there. The opportunities are really endless. Yes, they are. And on the on the flip side of that, so of course it it encourages creativity and innovation, and we've we've moved away from the whole step by step process, and we're kind of encouraging the other side of things. Are there any challenges that you've experienced with with implementing agile in your role? Yes. So a lot of times we think agile is only for software. Mm-hmm. Now, because there's so many frameworks underneath the agile umbrella, we can pull those out. And, and when we think about agility and how businesses can quickly pivot, we can leverage those principles and values for other parts of the business so that they can do that. From you know the part of the, the organization that initially thinks about what new features and such for a product, you know, how do they quickly adapt before it gets down to a to the IT department? Mm-hmm. The flip side of that, you know, how do we move away from rigid budgeting once a year to so we can move into that innovative and, and nimble space of adaptive budgeting so that the whole organization can quickly pivot when they see a, a new thing. However, that's that's a hard thing, and it's a huge challenge for organizations to move to leveraging those principles and values in other parts of the organizations, because teams don't work like scrum teams in other parts of the organizations like, like IT teams do. They're not necessarily thinking about delivering a product in two weeks. Yes. Mm-hmm. So how can they leverage some of the other principles and values of that to see how they can quickly pivot, you know, and on the the budgeting side, companies do huge profit and loss statements every year. How do you morph that into doing adaptive budgeting? It's difficult and it's a lot of challenge and it takes them a lot of working through it to find what works best for them. So it's like fine tuning almost, right? Because like you mentioned, you've got You've got the methodologies, but then you're trying to encourage innovation and collaboration, and it's it's a fine balance to strike. Right. And because we've moved to a framework that has a set of reusable components, it doesn't come with a finite set of rules that you have to follow to get to that. It's a lot of experimentation and doing debriefs and retrospectives to find out what worked and what didn't work. And a lot of companies don't have that high of a risk tolerance to go through the cycles of experimentation to find what works best. They, they're like, this works, we're going to stay with this. It may not be the best, but we know how this works. It, it becomes a trusted process, yeah. It becomes a, a process of trust. How much, how much faith do you have to walk into something new that you don't know? Yeah. 
And how do you set that safety net? What is that safety net or that guardrail? Yeah, where do you draw the line? Yeah, and that may be the first step in how do we move into that new space is, okay, we're not comfortable, so how do we set a safety net or guardrails around us so if we hit up against it, we know where to move back so that we feel that sense of safety. Yeah, and that's a that's a good way of thinking about it, right? Is know, knowing when to step back and revert to uh, something that you're more comfortable with or something that you know works and has previously mm-hmm. worked. So we we spoke about uh, how agile teams are not, not. I mean, teams in general don't necessarily work like Scrum teams. How would you say Agile promotes this uh, collaborative approach and the cross-functional teamwork? Also a great question. Agile as a whole and and Scrum in itself promote that collaboration. When we think about traditional ways of working and what comes to mind is waterfall is we'd see requirements built way up front, then design, and then to development, and we see it flow down through. And oftentimes, because of a timeline, the testing at the end got squeezed, and we'd see low-quality products go out in the market. Mm -hmm. Or because of how long we'd spent developing it, when it did get to market, the customer no longer needed it. Wow, okay. And we didn't have that feedback loop. So so the the first thing that Scrum promotes is that quick feedback loop continually checking in with our stakeholders and with our customers of, does this still fit what you need? And we get that on, you know, on a, on a loop that's at, you know, at most a month, every month, but it couldn't be quicker. You know, we could do two or three weeks and we check in. Is this still what you're envisioning? Is this still what you need? Is this what the market's still telling you? In a traditional way, we don't see that until the very end. In Scrum, we're continually checking in. Is this the right thing? Are we building the right thing? Are we on the right path? So that feedback loop becomes the first thing. The second thing, we see that collaboration increase because as well as that feedback loop, we have, in order to showcase something to the stakeholders and customers, we have to show something that's potentially shippable. Mm -hmm. So that means it's gone through just enough design just enough development, and it's fully tested. That's the biggest thing, right? Which is the biggest thing. So all those team members are working together to make that happen. That also allows team members, we we talk about, especially when we hear about the great resignation and silent quitting and and a lot of things like that. When we have team members come together and collaborate on something, and they're all a part of the ownership of what they're gonna deliver, They're all invested in it. And so that gives them a sense of fulfillment. The other sense of fulfillment comes is within this environment, they have all the skills necessary to deliver that potentially shippable product or increment. And within that, those team members may need to grow some skills. So we get our next sense of fulfillment is we're continually growing and learning all the team members on the team. And this is so so important. Yes, and I'm sure even yourself, you can show examples of of engagements that you've worked on 
and it's a new technology or something that you didn't know, but you got a sense of excitement because you got to go learn it while you were delivering that product. Yeah, there's this see- there's this thrill to it. It's true, and it's uh it's very much the case that in IT in general, there is always going to be something that you don't know, right? So you will have to yeah. there. Is, for example, technologies are evolving. There are always new products coming out or a new piece of code to learn, and so you're constantly adapting. So yeah, mm-hmm. learning learning is a huge part. Yeah. The other beautiful thing that comes together because of the nature of the meetings within Scrum, they're very collaborative. Yes, but they're not just come together and listen to somebody talk. They're working sessions. They, the team comes together to solve a problem and walk out of there with something done. So it's highly engaging. There may be a lot of creative work by drawing on the board, uh, not necessarily UX or design, but just creative work in how they're solving problems. And team people on the team do what they do because they thoroughly love solving problems so and when they're given that space to be creative about what that solution is we see them truly light up and take off and go and that's when the come up with things that yeah and come up with things that we would have never even envisioned back to my example of of Henry Ford, when he went and asked his customers what they wanted, they're like, we want a faster horse. When he took it back to the drawing board, he came up with a horseless carriage. Very good example. <laughs> and I'm, I'm curious, are there, I mean, during your agile journey, are there any misconceptions that you've personally had to overcome? Myself, so when I first started in this and of course when I thoroughly got deep in Scrum you know through my own learnings you know it's it's learning how technology works today with multiple developers on a team can have all code checked out at the same time and how the build merge process works of course today we know that that's a, a very seamless thing and if it's not for a team there's things a team can do to improve that so that they can have it can all be working on on those items and check them back in without big collisions. You know, some of the other things that come to mind is today we are global. Teams are global, they're all over the world. And we've provided tools for them and not just happening during the pandemic, but I've worked with more virtual teams over my 20 plus years in software than co-located teams, we have tools today that allows them to collaborate even more than if they're face-to-face. It's yes, it's truly empowering and really helps their innovation often go on how they problem solve. It's truly helpful. So you think Some that's, other, uh, do, do you think that's helped the process? I truly believe it does because it gives them the opportunity Especially when we think about, you know, again, when we humanize the work, we think about everybody's different and they they bring something different to the table. Some people are very vocal and, and very outgoing. Some are very quiet and intake a lot of, of data and think about it before they come back some come back with something. And with with these teams working virtual and the tools they have today, 
that allows both to work very well together and be able to bring their strengths and be able to, to reflect back what they're thinking about smoother and, and in a safer space for them. Okay. And are there are there any real world examples you could provide here where where agility was uh, implemented successfully? So we have a lot of examples over over the years within Nagaro that we can showcase. We also have uh, in our various people coaches that we have available that have examples outside of Nagaro. I have a property insurance company that that I came in and helped. You know, part of that again was meeting them where they were at, building the skills within the organization to not have to think about bringing in and leveraging a consultant company to run everything for them, mm-hmm. to bring in a few, get everybody on the same page about the verbiage and the language and think about what the goals were and then be able to walk away a couple of years later and they're able to self-sustain as they move on with that direction that they wanted. There's there's other companies out in the world where agility has is still successful and they're named back on the manifest the agile manifesto one of those is fidelity and okay. they're still there are another company that and i i bring it up because their name's on the the agile manifesto as being one of the first companies to adopt scrum and work through it they're now on their sixth or seventh version of working through Again, we think about those 70 plus agile frameworks trying to figure out because of the size of the company, which framework works in which pockets of the company. So they're continually tuning how they leverage agility to help them meet their organizational needs is another another example. That's that's really impressive. And on that topic, uh, we spoke about. there being over 70 different frameworks uh, within Agile. If you could, how, how would you recommend that organizations navigate through these, these frameworks to find the most suitable approach for their needs? So to navigate through that, they first need to think about what, what challenges they're currently having. And then they can sit down and look at the various frameworks and see how each one of those can or doesn't help them solve for that. So again, instead of that framework being the endpoint that they're trying to achieve, they're trying to leverage it to solve for that problem they're having in order to, to get to their business objectives. So and just on this solve, topic, sure. do you do you have different Buckets, for example, where it says, right, if you're trying to solve for this problem, you know, you've got X amount of frameworks here that you could use. However, if it's another problem, then we recommend this list. How does it work? So knowing the different frameworks that are available, if a company comes in and says we're having a problem with changing priorities every week. So we may look at, okay, we're gonna we're gonna start with what you know, and then we're gonna look at what frameworks 
fit that. So Kanban is, a, is one that fits that right out of, the, out of the gate and allows for priorities that change that quickly. Now, while you leverage Kanban to start to think about that, we can work with an organization this, to understand with them, why are their priorities changing that quickly? Is it only your production issues or is it stemming deeper that they have a lot of noise and they don't know how to sit down and think about what the priority of that noise is mm-hmm. and bounce it against their business goals to say, does this make sense to do it or not? So we might help them find a solution that fits right now while we dig deeper into it to understand, is there something else to help later on? So. Again, that comes with that adaptability of we may start with something right now. And as we work through the rest of the challenges, they may adapt to a different framework for where they're at then. And again, that's that's starting with what you know and then moving through it as you continuously improve. And that's understandable. Challenges. Yeah, because you you sometimes naturally you think the problem is one thing, but as you start to get stuck into it, you realize there is an underlying problem, which is probably the root cause, and it's not what you originally thought. Yes, so we've provided them with something to to the salt to smooth the pain right now that they're having while we work through the underlying pain of what else is going on, and they can move through that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It's it's really actually quite insightful. Um, and yeah, thank you, Dorothy, for sharing your valuable insights into how uh, the difference between methodologies and frameworks and how it can be misconceived at times. Uh, before we quickly wrap up, let's do a recap of what we've discussed today. Sure. So one of the things to, to think about as you as you think about whether you're using a methodology or a framework is take a step back and think about what success looks like. That will help you determine what you want to leverage. What you want to leverage to meet those goals. Start with what you know. Patience, understanding. And bring bring in, you know, the right people and change agents to help you move through that path. And that feel free to identify what the, that safety net or those guardrails are so that you can continue to feel safe enough as you continue to experiment as you get to that new way of being. I completely agree. And just to add to that, I mean, the big my biggest takeaway is also the fact that you've got you've got over 70 different frameworks. It's crucial to actually understand the problem, but also be mindful that until you don't start to really dig into uh, the problem itself, you won't actually understand which things are kind of intertwined. So you might you just need to be open to to kind of refine and adapt where needed. I think that's the the biggest takeaway is adaptability. Yes. Thank you, Gerber. Thank you once again, Dorothy, for joining us on the Power of Agile. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Stay tuned for our next episode. And if you need any further information, please visit go.nagaro.com 
forward slash AQC.